You're listening to As Read By Me, the podcast where writers read and readers listen. Greetings and welcome to As Read By Me. I'm Dave Stiles, your host, and I'm happy to announce that I'm recording this on the official one-year anniversary of the show. Big thanks to all the listeners and contributors for supporting and encouraging this endeavor so much over the past year. And speaking of which, I received a request from one of our listeners to start adding show titles to the episodes to make it easier to find your way back to your favorite stories. And being that we aim to please, this episode is titled Dog Days. Why? Because it's early August and all the pieces are dog-themed. And being the curious type, once I named the episode Dog Days, I had to look up the origin of the term. What I found out was, while these are the hottest days of the summer, the term really doesn't have much to do with the fact that your dog will likely be lazy around this time of year. Actually, like many of our calendar year traditions, the term Dog Days of Summer has its origins in astrotheology. It seems during late July and early August, the sun can be found in the same part of the sky as Sirius, a.k.a. the dog star. And because Sirius is one of the very brightest stars in our sky, the ancient Greeks and Romans presumed it to be closer and a possible contributor to the additional heat we feel this time of year. Turns out the heat theory was wrong, and is now explained by modern scientists as the result of the tilt of the Earth bringing the northern hemisphere just a little bit closer to the sun this time of year. You can certainly check out the internet for more info on this. But for now, I recommend you bring a nice cold drink closer to the northern hemisphere of your body, Take a big sip and enjoy Joyce Hadley, Paul Camerata, and Melinda Gordon sharing their stories of dog days. Hi, this is Melinda Gordon, and this is Bruiser, as read by me. There's a hole in my heart where he used to snuggle right next to me, sometimes underneath my flannel nightgown when it was cold out, or he was feeling a little unsure about the big world he was now part of. Just five weeks old when he became a member of our family. The pet shop said he was eight weeks old, but we learned better as he became ours. A tiny little buff-colored boy with bright eyes, a white spot on his forehead, and hope in his heart. He opened his little mouth to speak, and a squeal came out that tore at every inch of me. This baby became our world in ways both strange and wonderful. He weighed only four pounds and smelled like popcorn, that miraculous scent of new life that makes us go weak in the knees when we cuddle our first puppy. His foot pads were bright pink, his nose light gray, not fully formed even, Yet we would soon learn of the tragedies that had befallen him, and we would promise to try to make him whole again for the rest of his life. So little, so scared, so sweet. We named him Bruiser. Buying him at a pet shop was not the best idea, but we didn't know what everyone knows now about rescues and adoption. Besides, we had a seven-year-old who missed the two huge Irish setters, Casey and Dewey, who had been her first playmates and daily guardians. Kids and puppies, it's a magical connection. That first week, 
tiny bruiser followed us around, poking his little nose into everything and doing puppy things that we would never have tolerated from a big boy. He couldn't get into too much mischief, though, because he spent an awful lot of time getting carried around, even on top of laundry in the basket, and we kissed and hugged and treated him like a little prince among devoted subjects. At four o'clock every afternoon, he sat on the stairs with me and waited for his small human to come home from camp. He was really too tiny to run wild with or even to play fetch, which was probably good because Manon was usually too tired from camp to do much except ooh and ah over her new little buddy and take a nap with him on the couch before supper. At our first checkup, the vet shocked us by declaring him too young for his first shots, but proclaimed him a healthy baby, except for a distinct heart murmur. Aha! There it was. Dr. Newman explained that purebred pups who were less than perfect were very often harmed and left for dead among a box full of puppies who were being shipped to a pet shop. The pet shops could write off a loss of $25 for any pup found not alive after delivery, and the breeder would have been prepaid for the number of dogs in the box. Apparently, our little boy had survived. There was nothing we could do except take him home, love him, and be his family. So, sick to our stomachs over what we imagined might have happened to our baby, that's exactly what we did. At the beginning, he was quirky. He didn't like anybody to be next to him while he ate. He would growl at us over his bowl in a kind of adorable way, like a newborn lion cub. He would bare his miniature teeth and do the best to be a tough guy, and we would all giggle until we didn't. As he grew, Bruiser's behavior became more strange and less cute. He started nipping instead of just growling and gave no warning before he struck. Nipping turned to full-out biting and a couple of visits to the emergency room for me. He started commandeering our belongings, a tiny Snoopy beanbag toy, a golf ball, a shoe, and guarding them. He trained us very well to stay away from his things, and we didn't make it an issue. Time passed, and it was our behavior that changed instead of his. His hoarding became an obsession, as did his guarding behavior over anything and everything. When guests were visiting, we learned quickly to say, don't reach down, or something similar, to make sure their hands didn't become victims of our burgeoning little monster. Bruiser liked to be near us, but not picked up. He liked to be in the backyard, but wouldn't play. His disposition seemed sweet one minute, but he would snap into a rage the next. His health was excellent, and then one day he started having seizures. He repeated behaviors over and over. He attacked unprovoked, and he attacked more and more often. When he attacked, he looked like a wild beast and then would become a fluffy little guy immediately, with no seeming knowledge or recall of what had happened. Our friends and family members called us crazy, and we questioned our own sanity every day. When the topic of what to do was brought up, it was Bruiser and me against the world. 
I was so determined to make good on my promise to give him a good life that I wasn't even rational. I fought and cried and begged my way into earning him many more years than he probably may have gotten anywhere else. By a stroke of luck, we learned that the veterinary hospital at University of Pennsylvania had recently formed a behavior clinic. Our appointment was made and the whole family attended. The young doctors there were enthusiastic and eager to help us make Bruiser a better doggy. He was about six years old when we started his training. We became great at doing all the non-threatening exercises and Bruiser became about five pounds heavier from all of the cheese rewards that went along with the program. After realizing that we were well-trained and Bruiser was fat, the doctors recommended a neurologist who might be able to help. Soon, Bruiser became one of seven dogs who were in a clinical trial for the use of Prozac in dogs. We saw glimmers of progress, but the seizures were still frequent, and he had attacked a few times. After a while, we were disheartened and frustrated for sure, but not defeated. The neurologist suggested doing an MRI so that she could have a better look at what, if anything, was going on with this guy. We agreed. The results were fascinating. Bruiser showed signs of blunt force trauma to his head and neck that had resulted in scar tissue and tumor-like formations on his brain, skull, and ear canals. That little head was full of hurt when it should have been full of happy puppy fun. A decision was made to have surgery, a total ablation, which meant that he would be deaf and would have no openings under his ears. He would either come out of it pain-free and relieved to feel better, or he would be confused and angry. We were prepared for both. After a long, long time, someone came to tell us that Bruiser was in recovery and doing well. We had no way of knowing how he would behave. We all went home that day with happy tears in our eyes and lots of medication and instructions. Our little guy was in the back seat of the car with rubber tubes hanging out of his tiny little holes in his neck and truly what I believe was a smile on his beautiful fuzzy face. Four years later, at the age of 11, he died of a blood disorder. In his lifetime, he taught us so much about the good and the evil that people are capable of the horrors that no living being should ever endure, and the capacity to give love beyond what you ever imagined possible. He was a good boy with a tainted start. It was our job to give him the best life we could. We tried. Hi, I'm Paul Camerata, and this is Jack Sniff, as read by me. Jack Sniff, with his nose, in he hails and out he blows, scent detecting far and wide. From Jack Sniff, no smell can hide. Hounds called Jack when they were, whelp, investigating and needing help. Jack would come and in a jiff, solve the case in just one whiff. Folks asked Jack, do you feel stuck? What I feel, he said, is luck. That sniffs my name, and as you see, smelling to me comes easy. 
Rivers versus themselves swimming have a hard time ever winning. That's why I, Jack Sniff, always stay with a heart that's full of play. Hello, this is Joyce Hadley, and this is Oliver Born to be Wild, as read by me. I should have realized when I went to meet Brittany Puppy, soon to be known as Oliver, that this breed was live-wired. Upon entering the breeder's home, I was immediately jumped on with great affection by two adult Brittanys. The dog's owner told me it was a good sign. She said it confirmed I was the right person who had come to select one of the three remaining puppies. It was love at first sight when I looked at Puppy soon to be known as Oliver. He was so wiggly, cute, and cuddly. His markings were just peeking through, freckles about the muzzle, a patch of white hair traveling between his blue eyes, finally blending into the orange hair around his head and ears. Oh, how I wanted to take this little darling home, but the weaning process was not yet completed. Puppy, soon to be known as Oliver, was only five weeks old. So, when the call came from the breeder two weeks later to pick up Puppy, I stopped in my tracks and asked my sister to accompany me to the breeder's home. She agreed, and off we went, me giving her instructions on the way down I-95 on how to transport this precious cargo on the way home. I was very fortunate. Brittany Puppy was a birthday gift from my sister. I was forlorn over the death of my beagle, who died six months previously, and a new puppy would certainly brighten my world. When we arrived, after being jumped on again by adult Britneys, we went to the crate where Mother Brittany and remaining pups were huddled. I scooped up my new charge and held him gently. Ah, there's nothing like the smell of a little puppy. My sister and I said our goodbyes and set out for the return trip to my home. As I watched my sister holding puppy, soon to be known as Oliver, from my rearview mirror, I noticed the white patch markings on his head had spread quite a bit. On either side of the markings, the hair had grown into two points, resembling horns. Was this a sign? A few days later, once I'd had a chance to look over and try to get a feel for this new puppy's personality, It hit me like a lightning rod. Oliver, that's it. From here forward, little Brittany, you shall be known as Oliver. Fast forward, the first couple of months were filled with the normal, some of my friends thought otherwise, puppy behavior. Oliver dissected every toy, Oliver dissected every toy I purchased for him, even those with the indestructible tag. I tried to make him comfortable at night, But after chewing nine dog beds, I gave up. He preferred my bed. It's a good thing this puppy behavior was pre-pandemic because I lost a lot of toilet paper. One morning, I heard a lot of scratching and running in the hallway. Oliver had managed to take almost the entire roll of toilet paper from the bathroom, down the hall and into the living room. The running sound was Oliver jumping into the piles of toilet paper and gathering as much as he could into his mouth. Oliver is a good sport, 
He loves being in the backyard with me while I do yard work. One spring day, as I was totally immersed in my yard duties, I noticed Oliver was missing. When I went to the other side of my house, the sight I saw was startling. There he was, front and back legs covered in mud, muzzle caked with mud, and the tips of both ears were brown instead of orange. It had rained overnight, the ground was soft and saturated, and Oliver took this opportunity to dig a two-foot trench. He looked rather comical, and I tried to refrain from laughing as I hosed him down. One thing I soon learned was to always make certain the latch was secure on the gate. When Oliver first had his chance to escape, it took me a half hour to catch him. He does not respond to commands. It means me getting in the car, riding around calling, Oliver, come here, sit down. Capture usually happens when a neighbor pitches in. One day, a neighbor tackled him on her front lawn and held him down screaming, Joyce, hurry up, I've got him. I quickly left my car running in the middle of the street, ran with collar and lead in hand, saved my neighbor and placed Oliver in the car. There were a few more escapes and a few more car chases, but this one tops the list. One summer afternoon, the lawn crew arrived to cut my grass and my next-door neighbors simultaneously. Oliver goes into fifth gear when they arrive. Remember the greetings I received at the breeder's home from the adult Britneys? Well, Oliver greets the lawn crew by jumping nearly six feet on my back patio doors. I had an appointment and needed to pay the crew before I left, so I beckoned to one of the guys to come to the back door to be paid. As I opened the door ever so slightly, Oliver pushed through my legs and he was gone. The gate was open. The poor guy, who probably weighed about 130 pounds, took off after him, but Oliver was doing his usual 100-mile dash. The other guy, who was mowing my next-door neighbor's yard at this point, saw the commotion and took off trying to catch Oliver on his upright lawnmower. What a scene. Oliver running down Garfield Lane in between houses, the skinny lawn guy running after him, looking like he was trying to lasso a bronco, three children running down the street shouting, Oliver, come back! The other lawn guy riding down the street on his lawnmower, bobbing up and down the sidewalks, trying to keep up with his worker, who was now two blocks away. By this time, I was in my car with collar and lead, riding up one street and down the next, passing the screaming children and the guy on the lawnmower. Then finally, I saw them. Skinny guy holding Oliver by the neck and walking him back to my house. I drove up, and both dog and lawn guy hopped into the back seat. All that I could do was apologize to the lawn guy for taking up his time. I thanked him and looked at Oliver as he slobbered the guy with affection. As I approached my house, the guy on the upright lawnmower was just rounding the corner. He looked relieved that the dog was captured and his worker was still fit to continue mowing lawns. Seven years later, nothing has changed. Oliver has had six weeks of canine training. He did such a great job in class that the instructor used him as an example to train the other dogs. But those moments were short-lived because when Oliver returned home, it was back to jumping, digging, 
and never obeying commands. I guess you might say he was born to be wild. Thanks for joining us. If you're listening on a podcast app, please hit the subscribe button to be notified when we release future episodes. For more information about the podcast and the authors, visit asreadbyme.com. You can also find us on Twitter, and you can stream video versions of the show on YouTube and Rumble. If you're enjoying the show and would like to help us keep it ad-free, please consider supporting us by visiting asreadbyme.com and clicking the donate button. If you're a writer and would like to read something on an upcoming episode, send an email to writers at asreadbyme.com.